Hi there, I'm Andres Correa, and you're listening to the Park Street Insider Podcast. Today we'll be taking a look at one of the more crucial decisions that beverage alcohol entrepreneurs need to make during their brand building journey, determining a route to market strategy. You'll be hearing an essential talk from Robin Robinson on how to identify the right markets for your brand. Robinson is an independent consultant for emerging brands, and in this talk, he covers the key questions that all brand strategists must ask themselves before taking their products to market. He also delivers his cardinal rules for brand success, an overview of the market landscape, and some strategies that smaller brands can use to grow their sphere of influence and level the playing field when making sales. Robinson then dives into two case studies for brands that entered the U.S. market and shares his key takeaways from each experience. If you're looking for some new ideas on how to approach the U.S. route to market, this episode is a great place to start. Just a quick note that when Robin is delivering his four cardinal rules for market entry, number three refers to having a digital presence that consumers can connect to via their phones. So without further ado, enjoy this essential talk from Robin Robinson. Hi, everybody. My name is Robin Robinson. Last six years uh, now, I've been on my own as a, uh, as a private consultant. I sold in many, many different markets in many different industries. I started out my life as an actor, which is the ultimate small brand experience. I sort of like codified and formulated the understanding of communication when I was in the tech industry, selling Silicon Valley small solutions to businesses competing against Microsoft and SAP. And then I got into the liquor industry where I quit gnashing my teeth because everybody liked to see the whiskey man. So it was a completely different type of an experience for me. And what I've learned in all of those years is how to effectively get out into a market. I kind of consider myself a brand Sherpa. Brands all want to get up to the top of the mountain. I meet them at the base camp. I make sure they bring the right equipment, know how to actually use their respirator, know how to read a map. And then I make sure that their brand is not like one of the dead bodies that end up on the side of the mountain there forever. Everybody wants to kind of get to the top of the mountain, but you kind of have to know how to do it. So that's kind of like what I do as a consultant. One of the most important things to understand is where are we in the entirety of the business world, right? Now we actually, and I'm talking from the brand perspective here. We've got a, a bottle in our hand. We've got some sort of an alcoholic product in our hand. We have to understand where exactly this fits. Even though our end result is a consumer drinking this, consuming this, okay, this is not a directly to consumer sale. This is always and always will be and has to be thought of it as this. This is a B to B play, business to business, right? So things like, for example, comic books and cigars and toys and things like that, you're selling directly to a consumer. In the alcohol business, you are selling to someone else. And when you're selling to someone else, your prime directive is to make someone else money. That's the whole thing of the three-tier system. Make someone else money. So you're essentially, you're selling like, you know, big equipment or your software development or advertising, right? Whiskey fits right into there. This is a B2B play. It's the number one thing to keep in your mind as you go out into the market. So you want to take a look at the entire United States and say, how is this actually all then made up? You know, what do I have to look at? Well, we live in 50 different states under a three-tier program. That means we have 50 different interpretations of what three-tier is, 17 of which are 
control states. And in, within the 17 control states, there are 17 different variations of what control means, right? Even when you go into the open market states and you have got something like Maryland that has one county that's a control state out of the entire state, and then Texas, which has like an invisible fourth tier. So understanding exactly where is the marketplace that I'm going to put this brand becomes one of the foremost things in our planning session as we prepare to take a brand out into marketplace, right? If you go into District of Columbia, into D.C., that's what's known as Wild Wild West. Literally, you're shooting out there with anybody out there. Deals are being made from bar to bar, restaurant to restaurant, uh, liquor store to liquor store. Very, very different than if you go to Pennsylvania, which is like the most draconian of all of them. You have to go through a very, very, very stiff structure of three-tier in order to get to the consumer. So understanding where you're going to be in this entire marketplace is your first order of business as you go into the market. The second question you want to ask yourself is, what do I want to be when I grow up, right? Do I want to be a product or do I want to be a brand? Because there is a difference. There is a difference in how you think of yourself, how you think of yourself in relationship to your competition, and then how you go to market. Selling a product is really not going to be the thing that you want to do. You actually want to make a brand because to make a brand means that you've already sold the value before you've walked into the store. Now, when you do this from the big four, they've already sold the value of that. That's why what happened during COVID. What happened during COVID? Everyone went back to what? Right? The comfort brands. The value had already been sold in the consumer's mind. Right? That's your job out there as a small brand out in the marketplace is to sell that value. One of the most important things to understand is what's the long arc of this? Because I'm just selling product. I'm dropping stuff off. I'm heading out of there, and I'm hoping that somewhere along the way that product gets sold. That's not brand building, right? Brand building is definitely a long arc, and it takes some time to do it. So there are four kind of like cardinal rules in doing this. Number one is own your own backyard. So wherever your brand is oriented, whatever state you're in, that's your market. That's the backyard that you need to own. I've advised people from Northern California down into Miami, from DC up into Chicago. First thing that comes out of my mouth is how saturated are you in your own backyard? Do you own that? Because that's actually going to be one of the most important things that's going to be a future indicator of your success. How much are you actually known? How much is the brand integrated into the most immediate area from which the brand originates. Number two, don't boil the ocean. Boiling the ocean means I'm out everywhere, right? I'm trying to make everything happen. One of the first things I do when I take on a brand, I look at your shelf set and I'm seeing 12, 13, 15 different SKUs. No, no, you're going down to three and all of the 17 or 19 different markets you're in, no, you're gonna bring them back down to one or two. So it's a combination of not being too spread out everywhere because most small brands are what? One or two people, right? So you have to think, understand what's the saturation point that one or two people can actually do. Number three, guess what changed the world? This. That means I've got instant knowledge everywhere I go on just about anything I want to find out about, right? So that means in order for you to actually have any value, you have to be the indispensable expert in not only the thing that you're holding in your hand, but also the category and maybe even the entire sector. Those are critical as well for you to understand about how to actually kind of create that brand arc. 
Number four, that's how you create ambassadors. You're looking to actually create ambassadors in each one of these individual markets without you being there. You're looking to actually capture the heart and souls and minds of the people that you are selling to because they are going to be your virtual sales force. Critical, a critical thing to understand. Why is this all important? Because in order to stay out of those four areas where any of that stuff that I just mentioned is going to be virtually impossible to do from a small brand perspective, you always have to think of this. Cost of sale. C-O-S. What is your cost of sale at any given point at any given time? That's everything that I am going to spend from what type of advertising I put on to the cost of my subway token to get to the next appointment. All of that is your cost of sale. So that makes sense when you start looking at these four. This is all about keeping your cost of sale down, right? Because everybody knows if you start up a small brand, you're going to be operating in the red for about three to five years until you're actually going to see any type of profit coming out of that. Now, what are some of the levelers? Well, we've got e-commerce out there, right? You got things like Reserve Bar and Thirsty and Drizzly like that. And they can actually kind of help level the, the, the playing field because you can get a little DTC. The other thing, of course, is your marketing. As Anton said before, you're here to create ambassadors and you're here to create in an area in which they're not getting as much attention from the big guys as maybe you can give them. This is where this happens. What is marketing? Simple things said over and over again. And that's going to have a much more of an impact on smaller areas where you can actually concentrate that marketing set than into the large, crazy, highly competitive areas of the you know, big cities that are out there in the United States. Here's a case study. Anybody here with these guys? I bet you 10, 12 years ago you didn't. But I did because with Compass Box, when I was managing Compass Box, I used to go to Colorado all the time. And every time I was in Denver, every time I was in Boulder, any time I was in anywhere, I'd look, go into a liquor store, I'd go into a bar, and I'd see nothing but Leopold Brothers, Leopold Brothers, Leopold Brothers, Leopold. Who in the hell is Leopold Brothers, right? So finally, I called Todd Leopold up. I go up, I meet him, have a great time. But what Todd Leopold did was they owned their own backyard to the point where it wasn't just I saw them on the shelves, but everybody, everybody was there a brand ambassador. Oh, you have to taste this. You got to know about this. They knew the whole backstory. That's your small brand experience in a small market right there by owning your own backyard. What happened eventually, now everybody knows about them. Why? Because everybody came to them. Everyone came to them because they made the mistake. Yeah, they put some product up in New York, put some in Boston, sat there on the shelves just like everything else, right? Then they finally got smart, brought it all back in, saturated their own home market, and Denver wasn't the market that we know it is today. It was still kind of backwater a little bit, right? It's not now. I had a cognac and Armagnac producer that wanted to come to the United States, and they wanted to come to New York because that's where they think everybody drinks cognac, and they were wrong. And so I came up with a couple ideas for them to actually kind of get some saturation. Coming on here from a, a French a cognac producer, they didn't want to hear anything I had to say. They pretty much knew they had all the market all scoped out. I said, you got three brands, take one of those things, we're gonna make the new bartender shot with that, spread it out, make it a very cocktail thing. No, okay, then they wanted to bring their Armagnac out. And I said, okay, well then, I've got a great idea about actually launching this. They said, well, we're thinking New Orleans. I said, why are you thinking of New Orleans? 
He goes, well, because, you know, it's French and everything like that, and, you know, and it's got, like, cuisine. I go, New Orleans is a tourist city. Have you ever heard of the state of Wisconsin? And they looked at me like I had seven eyes. And I said, here's why. Because when you actually go and see who drinks more brandy than any other state in the union, it's Wisconsin. Corbell makes their number in one state for the year, right? So if they're drinking brandy, if you go into a cocktail bar and the old-fashioned is a brandy old-fashioned, yeah, you think they're going to be a little bit more open to maybe an Armagnac because they're also selling Slivovitz there and everything else like that. So there you go. You have to have a mindset being flexible about it. Those are the two case studies I got. Hi, everyone. It's Emily again. We really appreciate you tuning in for this episode and hope you found it valuable. This podcast is produced by Emmett Strack and co-hosted by me, Emily Pennington, and Andres Correa. If you like the show, we'd love to hear your feedback. The best way to do that is to give us a rating or leave a review on your preferred platform. If you're interested in getting involved with the podcast, send us an email at psu at parkstreet.com, which is also listed in the show notes. You can find more educational materials on our website, parkstreet.com, or YouTube channel, search Park Street University. Thanks a lot, and cheers until next time.